I'm Rajiv Chandrasekharan, and this is Upstanders, 10 Stories of Extraordinary Citizenship in Unexpected Places. Today, we're going to Baldwin, Michigan, this tiny village halfway between Grand Rapids and Traverse City, where over 50% of the town lives below the poverty line. For most high school seniors, going to college hadn't been an option, until the town banded together and did something remarkable. That's coming up later. Howard Schultz is the chairman and chief executive of Starbucks, but he was born and raised in a poor neighborhood in Canarsie, Brooklyn. I grew up in a place that one could say, not unlike Baltimore, Michigan, was on the other side of the tracks. You didn't come from a rich family, but you were guided by a belief that if you worked hard, if you applied yourself, you could build a better life than your parents had. My parents, and my mother specifically, her belief in the American dream that the country provided you with an opportunity, and that opportunity was available to everyone. The flip side is I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have lost hope in that American dream. If, if the majority of Americans believe it's only for those people who are privileged and who have access, who live in the right zip code, who have the right color skin, who come from the right family, then our future is not going to be based on the promise and the aspiration of what we have all believed American exceptionalism should be about. We can't discount what that means to people who don't have it because of their station in life, the color of their skin, their family, because of things that have shaped their life or how people have positioned them and feel as if that's no longer available to them. Here with the story is Sujin Pak. Michaela George really wanted to go to college. Uh, I applied to 13 colleges. Um, some would be Michigan State, EMU, Olivet College, Oakland University. I was stressing out after I applied, like, I'm not going to get accepted to the one I want to go to. And I was like, it's just not going to happen. And that May, Michaela announced her big news in front of her entire school. I applied to 13 colleges and universities. I've been accepted to all 13 colleges. She decided on Eastern Michigan University. I was like, Dad, I got accepted. Mom, look, I did it. I'm going to college. But growing up, college wasn't even on her radar. Neither of my parents went to college, so college wasn't really a thought that I was thinking at all. I just figured that I was going to be like my parents and just get a job and just work for the rest of my life. Michaela says most of her classmates felt the same way. They live in Baldwin, Michigan. It's a small town. Only about 1,000 people live there, and it's poor. The median household income is under $15,000 a year. Almost half the town lives below the federal poverty line. At Baldwin High, the only high school in town, 95% of students, including Michaela, qualify for free and reduced lunch. So she never imagined her family could pay for college, even with loans. Even with my father working and my mom's not working at all, I wouldn't be able to pay them. It would take me my, the rest of my life to pay them. College was out of the realm of possibility for most Baldwin High School students. Oh, gosh. When I first moved up here 12 years ago, uh, very few of our students went on to college. That's Ellen Karens. 
She and her husband moved to Baldwin in 2004. College wasn't something that was in their thinking at all. Many of them did not even graduate from high school. Back then, only 30% of Baldwin seniors went to college. Today, 90% are heading to universities across Michigan. How did it change so drastically? It literally took a village. Ellen had just retired from a long career in education, but stayed involved as a volunteer tutor. Later, she joined the county's community board. Ellen says that in 2005, the board caught wind of some big news from Kalamazoo, Michigan. They were guaranteeing college for everyone, regardless of their economic standing. A small group of anonymous donors had pledged to pay for every public high school graduate to attend any Michigan university. What a concept. We were so jealous. That was the best thing that could happen to those students in Kalamazoo. They called it the Kalamazoo Promise. Baldwin was watching. Randy House is the former superintendent of Lake County Schools. He and Ellen saw an opportunity. They wondered, could they replicate the Kalamazoo Promise in Baldwin? We actually began having some serious community discussions with a, a group of motivated people with that kind of inspiration saying, who says we couldn't do that? What would it take in order to make that happen? How much would it cost? We wanted to do it exactly the same way. If Kalamazoo could do it and raise and find an angel to subsidize a promise, why couldn't we do that in Baldwin? We began to knock on the doors of the big corporations and foundations. But just as the pledges started to come in... It was the end of 2008, and you know what happened then. The housing crisis and the economy crashed. Donors backed out. We received the rejection letters, and we were devastated. What happened in big foundations is their total amount of funding had reduced significantly. But then, Michigan legislators created a new initiative that would change everything. It gave every town the ability to establish its own promise zone, just like the one in Kalamazoo. And because Baldwin had already laid the groundwork for their own fundraising, they were quickly accepted as one of the new state-sponsored zones. But there was a catch. A town could only receive promise funds if they raised enough money to fund it themselves for the first two years. After they had proven themselves, the state would allow Baldwin to support the program with property tax revenue. When the legislation came into being, it, it made the amount of money that we needed to raise locally much less and we didn't have to go for big buck foundation donations to endow it. Baldwin knew it had to get that money quickly. But the question was, without a major endowment, how could such a poor community raise the money in time? There was a little uh, ribs place just to the south of Baldwin that put up a jar. And, you know, they said, we'll match everything that gets put in the jar. We went after all the graduates, including graduates who lived all over the United States, and parents, graduating classes, anybody that would listen. And everybody gave. We had some grandparents who said, I can only give $20 a month. Is that okay? Oh, my gosh. And we said that was more than we could expect. 
a shared understanding of hardship was a source of pride for Baldwin natives. So when it came time for donations, alumni were happy to give. The response was overwhelming. There were $17,500 raised just from the faculty in the school. They blew past the fundraising goal. And it's not that big of a faculty. We didn't anticipate the sort of grassroots support that we got. And again, these are not people who had a lot of means, but these were people who had a vision. One dollar at a time, they raised enough to send all their graduates to college. It was amazing, the outpouring, because everybody wanted our students to have that opportunity that perhaps hadn't been given to them. Baldwin was now a promise zone. What I've seen is a competitive nature between classes, graduating classes. Ayana Richardson is the executive director of the Baldwin Promise. This past year, um, the graduating class completed over 150 applications to higher education institutions. The previous year completed 100. So now you have the cohort coming behind them saying, we're going to do more college applications than you did. You'll see. Teachers and administrators say that the Baldwin Promise is about more than money. Eliminating financial barriers is just one of, part of it. You also have to eliminate educational barriers and social barriers, especially first-generation students, especially low-income students. By visiting colleges and universities, we expand their knowledge, and that starts as young as fifth grade. Seeing a college campus is a crucial step in overcoming these barriers. Deron Copeland went on a college tour when he was young, and he still remembers it. First time I've actually uh, like really been on a college campus. We went to Central Michigan, and uh, I don't. It just, I was like, wow, you know, it's it's great here. I've always been a dreamer. Like I've always had big dreams. Michigan State's always been at the top of my list. I've you know idolized the university, but I wasn't really sure if I'd be able to do that coming from where I did. You know, uh, low income family. But the promise has helped me and made me realize that I can do that. And uh, actually, it's what I'm going to do. He's off to Michigan State in the fall. But what does it mean for someone like Duran to be the first in his family to go to college? It's raising the expectations for his entire family. I feel like since I'm going to college, I can be a better influence on them. My little brothers, I mean, they're stepping in the same footprints I'm setting, but hopefully they, now I believe that they know that they can do it too, right alongside me. Shadaria Scott never thought she would go to college. I was homeless for majority of my life. And when I started high school, I didn't worry about my grades. I worried about being here because that meant I had breakfast and I had lunch. I was too busy worrying about the next meal instead of the next step in life. I didn't think about the fact that if I went to school, I could be somebody. I thought that if I went to school, I could eat that day. So then to change that to stop going to school for food, to go to school because it's like, let's get my grades in order. Let's, let's go beyond this. Let's go to college. Let's, let's be a lawyer. <laughs> let's, let's be a lawyer. Shadarius will be attending Eastern Michigan University. Ayana says that the Baldwin promise has shown the students that the town has their backs. Wow. A group of citizens came together 
for us. A group of citizens came together for this community. A group of citizens came together because they thought it was important to make sure that we had a future, that we became somebody. Here's Michaela again. It makes me feel like the community is really close and that I have a lot of supporters around that I didn't even know of. I realized how much of a strong community that we have behind us. I think that the Baldwin Promise has put forth a, a vision of a future that is quite different than anything that the community has seen before. And I think that vision, in some way, shape, or form, has become part of the Baldwin community now, that they see a way, that they have something that is special and different that can benefit their children and lead them to a better life. It's certainly changed things for Shadarius. When you grow up in an environment where you're told you can't be anything, you can't afford to be anything, to go from that to you can be whatever you want to be. For me, it's, you did it. <laughs> this particular story really uh, hit me because these young kids in Baldwin, Michigan, would have fallen through the cracks and not had the opportunity that the Promise of America has been built on without the help and support of this community. And these aren't rich people. These are, these are no, poor not people, yeah. lower-middle-class people who, who dug down deep yeah. to give, right? They, they actually went to philanthropists. They went to big companies in Michigan, and they were turned down because the height of the Great Recession. There's thousands of Baldwin Michigans throughout the United States. And if Baldwin, Michigan can do this, there's no reason to believe that hundreds and thousands of communities just like Baldwin can take what they've done and write that script for their children across the country. We have the capability and the resources to really make a difference and help someone who can't help themselves. That is our civic responsibility. For decades, the cycle of homelessness has been nearly impossible to break. The problem compounds. Shelters are overflowing. But Utah has reduced chronic homelessness by 91% with a simple idea. That's next week on Upstanders. Our story today was narrated by Su Jin Pak. Casey Holford composed our music. Thanks to Howard Schultz for his vision and support. This is a Starbucks original series produced by Panoply, by Fanny Cohen, Andrew Chug, Whitney Donaldson, Margaret Kelly, Jordan Bell, Zach Dinerstein, Anne Hepperman, and Rob Abair. If you've been inspired by these stories and want other people to hear them, the single best way to help out this podcast is to rate, review, and subscribe. And of course, tell your friends and neighbors. And if you're really inspired, teach someone new how to download a podcast. It's easy. I'm Rajiv Chandrasekharan. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>